ourselves. But when you think about it, our enthusiasm's a sham. We don't want other worlds. We're the one mirrors. Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. Thank you for joining me this week. Um, we're going to get building off of uh, last week a little bit. We're going to stay a bit serious. This is a creepy episode. We're going to talk about demonic possession. And let's see, where do we start with this? And first off, I guess I'll do some quick announcements. Um, thank you for joining the show. Broadcasting here on the Fringe FM. Don't forget, you can check out the psychedelic UFO documentary that I was featured in, um, As Within, So Without, from UFOs to DMT. It was originally UAPs to DMT, but I'm I'm glad they changed it to UFO um, in the in the editing process. So I was saying UAPs during some recordings, but it's As Within, So Without, from UFOs to DMT, uh, from the Mind Escape podcast. You can find it there on their Patreon. Check out my website, divemind.net, get my books, hunt manual, dive manual. We're going to be talking, we talked about dive manual more last episode. Uh, we're going to talk about hunt manual more this episode. Uh, so some teasers there. Don't forget to check out Tippy Patson and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, in some of those Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes. Oh yeah, and if you like the show, do me a favor, go and rate the show doesn't there doesn't have to be a review we don't even have to put words in there if words are required just put awesome show great job <laughs> but uh you know if you genuinely like the show i'm not trying to pander but it does help um you know the more that people engage with your show in a variety of ways the more you are uh used utilized in the algorithms and suggested to other people so and, you know, I've never really been super interested in chart topping, but I'm always interested in getting myself out to the people that would be interested. You know, um, I'm always kind of in a weird, I don't know, stoner brain sort of way, fascinated by the idea for me and from the viewpoint of others, like what is out there right now artistically that would just blow my mind, but you know, I'm, it's not going to be given to me. Like, so I've always had that kind of hunter collector mentality with digging through the crates and finding new art. So, you know, help other people do that with my stuff. Um, but all right, I digress. Let's get into the meat of this demonic possession. And I think this will be important to point out, um, just a disclaimer right off the bat. This is going to be heavily inspired by Carl Jung, uh, for those that aren't familiar with the show. Um, repeat listeners will probably consider that a no-brainer, but this is definitely not going to be from an Orthodox Christian perspective or any sort of Orthodox perspective. However, what we are going to do here is look at the Orthodox perspectives, and from a comparative point of view, uh, we're going to use Jungian psychoanalysis and some of the modern studies in abnormal psychology, abnormal uh, neurology, and uh, sleep science. Um, a bit of a carryover, an extension of what we talked about in last episode. So um, I wouldn't discourage you one bit from going and checking out last episode if you haven't, uh, because here's the thing. Here's a, here's a good segue into some more meat. <clears throat> we talked about the... Um, theoretical likelihood of something like I would call a psychic phantom limb. V.S. Ramachandran, um, phantom limb studies showing that the projection of the phantom limb, you know, projecting a, um, a reflection of an intact limb into the place of a missing limb actually provides tangible therapy. And it's the same way with um, analytic psychology. We are providing a reflection for something that is inanimately, uh, it's it's weird, it's intangibly tangible, if you get what I'm saying. Something like a phantom limb. Um, our desires and 
the things that keep us up at night, I consider those similar phantom limbs, that cold, dead, inanimate part of your emotionality that you can't seem to shake life into. And so, and I think it's important in an episode like this to state that it's a two-way street. Um, so for all the creepy stuff we're going to talk about in this episode, I think there are equally and more powerfully transcendental things out there, um, which I've tried to talk about in other episodes and will continue to talk about in other episodes. But lastly, I'll say this is a little bit also of an extension of one of my earlier episodes, uh, 21st Century Demonology, Poltergeists. Um, that was a bit of a mishmash. I was still trying to figure out how to format episodes and how I was going to do it. And I wasn't sure quite how I would and when I would do series arcs. And so I thought I would do a 21st century demonology series arc. Uh, but that just covers way too much. Uh, I, potentially like half my episodes would just be in the 21st century demonology. So it's just, it didn't make any logical sense. Uh, so that episode is still good. Uh, you know, it's still plenty fine. I just, uh, I tried to bite off more than I could chew. Um, and so I talked a little bit about possession and other things. Um, but now I'm going to give possession its proper due. So, but you can go check out um, that episode on poltergeists. You can go check out the image of the devil. You can check out uh, last episode and there are going to be some others as well, but particularly those two um, will help you build upon this here. Oh, right, right. And um, my two-parters, um, serial killers, cult leaders, and Jungian perspectives. You definitely um, will find some interest in that if you enjoyed your way through this whole episode. Okay. This is, um, other than just being a topic of unexplainable phenomena that is interesting uh, and I would have liked to sift through one way or another. I think the particularly uh, compelling aspect of all this for me, the idea of possession is the allegorical. I've always considered it very interesting um, how trauma will take on a life of its own. You know, we become haunted by trauma in many ways. Um, the implications of the trauma by the by the definition of the the subject um seem to have a sort of control over us and if they don't then we have to lock them away instead of being able to access those parts of us and i think a lot of people that's sort of the Freudian coping mechanism, the standardized coping mechanism, um, in a, at least particularly the West, um, is just to sort of lock those things away. It's like, oh, that's damaged, you know, damaged goods, we throw that away. So stuff that in the bin um, instead of understanding what happened, fixing it, breathing life into it, getting rid of what's no longer good about it and recontextualizing it. Um, that's a lot of what, you know, the real tangible, extremely practical, um, aspects of, uh, hypnosis do is they, they put you into that, uh, trance state that doesn't have you walking around like a chicken. Um, you know, in certain cases, you know, certain people are highly suggestible and there's different things, but that it doesn't usually really happen unless maybe an outlier crazy scenario, but that's not really what hypnosis is. You're getting into that trance state. And for instance, they'll bring you back to a memory that you had that might be potentially traumatic and they'll guide you through that in a new way. And it's very proto, maybe not proto, but it's just, just very similar to the psycho uh, psychedelic experience in ways that help you rewrite uh, pre-existing neural patterns. And I think that's a lot of what we're looking at here today. So phantom limbs, inanimate emotionality, trauma, the autonomous nature of trauma. That's what I think we're really getting at to, to, as, a, as a 
really truly honest starting point if we're going to um look at possession and not get bogged down in uh crazy hysteria it is the autonomy of trauma okay so we're going to read some some bits here um i'd like to read to you a quote from john keel's work the eighth tower he talks about possession in a very interesting fortean way Possession is nothing more than an overt, involuntary version of mediumship. The victim's body and consciousness are temporarily controlled by an exterior intelligence. If the victim and those who investigate his case and try to heal him believe in the devil, then the controlling force assumes that identity. The same thing happens in ufology with the entity claiming to be a spaceman. I soon learned that this intelligence was also emotionally unstrung, childlike, even stupid. Battling this force is like battling a reel of tape in a computer. Unless it is following a carefully programmed procedure, it is discombobulated. The entities so uh, produced have no actual mind of their own. They wander around our dimension as ghosts and goblins, harmless until they find a believer. Then they feed off of the mind and emotions of that believer, assuming the identity subconsciously chosen. However, all these weird events and games do have a subtle underlying tone. They very efficiently provide a cover-up camouflage, uh, camouflaging the presence of the real phenomenon and its purpose. Uh, these apparitions seem to be omens. Hmm. So that's a very Fortean perspective of like extra-dimensional intelligences, and that's one that um, I am inclined to consider the reality of but we start with the Jungian principle and even uh keel brings it back down when he says the apparitions seem to be omens so whatever the sentience whatever the i am nature of whatever we're talking about here there is something concrete and psychological and practical about all this let's read some more here um this is from hunt manual my book while I can't say I agree with all of the traditional Catholic interpretations, um, I do take their rigor and tradition a bit more seriously. Catholic kitty touching aside, priests have cautiously witnessed and addressed the continued but rare persistence of the need for exorcism rites. Unlike a great deal of New Age Christian hysteria involving speaking in tongues and haphazard televangelist exorcisms, the disciplined theological studies of the official exorcists in the Catholic Church have remained surprisingly apart from these hysterias. However, this is not without its severe collateral damage beforehand. It is ironic to say the least, but in today's age where the church walks on more eggshells than ever before, as it rightly should, a great many studious and earnest minds within the Catholic Church have continued to hone in on the anomalous possession occurrences and how they differ so greatly from any mental illness. A variety of disorders, as we have seen, uh, a variety of disorders can accumulate through the nervous system and create a snowball effect that leaves some sort of heuristic, allegorical trail of food for something else to come and invade. But this is extremely rare in any case, and illness and disease are not all prerequisites for these kinds of paranormal and possession phenomena. The real prerequisites are the gateways found through an intense and prolonged anomalous surge of the nervous system in a way that is accentuated by neurological pathways, which are then personified or let loose through memes and archetypes. Dr. Richard Gallagher is a psychiatrist that released a book entitled Demonic Foes, where he details his work done with traditionally trained Catholic exorcists. Dr. Gallagher is an established and well-respected psychiatrist and has been working for around three decades now, the last two spent talking with exorcists on the side. Apart from bringing up many curious case studies, metaphysical food for thought, and firm psychiatric groundings, perhaps the most important thing Dr. Gallagher brings up is that similar to something like a poltergeist, there is a set standard of symptomatic unexplainable phenomena um, that come with the diagnosis. In other words, there are basic symptoms that are observable, as unexplainable as they may be. There is still not enough evidence to say with certainty what is going on here with these Catholic exorcism rites and their claims of perception. Uh, but people like Malachi Martin claim that exorcisms have been on the rise, and so have exorcists. 
and we can see these numbers reflected in certain polls recently taken in the U.S. But whatever it is, something is going on here, something highly related to mental illness and disease, but something that seems to trans, um, but, but something that seems to transcend that to be truly genuine. I think between John Keel's perspective and Richard Gallagher's field study in the matter, there lay some fundamental takeaways. So it would appear that the root of this, as I've mapped out a bit thus far, is not in the medical condition, but the person's response to their condition and their given state of suffering. What kind of condition are they in? If there are enough building blocks given for a very bad situation, perhaps certain gateways can be opened within the psyche. The same way that an addict can be so suddenly inspired to get clean, which doesn't happen as much as we would like, but happens enough to know that it's very possible, then perhaps conversely, a relatively normal person with neurotic and aggressive tendencies can receive some re severe blows to the head, experience some severe childhood trauma on top of it, and suddenly immediately find themselves on a completely different track towards absolute sadism and nihilism. The latest sciences in CTE and heavy impact head trauma have shown us how very, very real this is. With Catholic exorcisms done properly today, it is of utmost importance to make sure that a person claiming to be possessed isn't simply mentally ill. But essentially, by a definition of possession symptoms, a person has to be suffering from some form of what a skeptic could only call multiple personality disorder, could very likely be suffering from sleep paralysis, very well could have a history of epilepsy and certain disassociative disorders. But there has to be an apex. Furthermore, as Dr. Gallagher explicitly states and illustrates with a variety of case studies in his work, it is most certainly, it most certainly can happen to healthy individuals as well. But there are always strong catalysts. These things don't come out of nowhere. They are a, better, a butterfly effect. In the same way that there is a mystical, transpersonal state of consciousness that can be achieved through ceremony, ritual, and other hypnotic techniques, there can also be an inversion of that meaning that we can also uh, be aggressively pulled into certain states of consciousness without our psychological consent. And this is what demonic possession seems to be from a perspective of experimental analytic psychology. Usually this can be chalked up to our poor mental health uh, and poor coping mechanisms to stress or to uh, perhaps another person manipulating our emotions, but very, very occasionally something truly unexplainable happens. These are the basic qualifications that a priest has for diagnosing a real possession, as Dr. Gallagher also attests to. A. Aversion to the sacred. Pretty obvious, don't like crosses. B. Xenoglossy, with an X at the beginning, which means speaking uh, languages the subject has never learned. C. Untold strength and anomalous mass, uh, which means not only obviously being very strong, but you hear a lot of reports in these really ramped up wild cases where people um, are far heavier than they could possibly be. Like children are immovable. Uh, strange. So D, um, hidden knowledge of innermost guilt, like a specified telepathy where the people engaged in the exorcism, um, suddenly all their darkest, like their phantom limbs to use the lingo we've been going with in this show, uh, become incredibly apparent to the the supposed demon and they start calling him out in order to break people e the subject will begin creating ravenous guttural bellows that are certainly not impossible to the human vocal cords but bends and distorts our cords in such an animalistic way on recording that little girls sound like feral wildcats and they do this for hours and hours on end in a way that would seriously eviscerate and effectively end the career um, of any hardened heavy metal vocalist's throat. Like, seriously. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Um, Annalise Michelle being the, uh, the, the subject that I'm specifically thinking about here and that we'll get into later. But just the fact that there were so many recordings of this girl bellowing like, like a, like a truly animal. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, uh, you could do that. It's crazy. F. Horrific smells are often reported that come and go quickly, but can be described either as sulfuric 
or like something um, like burning flesh oftentimes. And then there's the wild card of levitation. The levitation is still reported and known to occur from time to time, as well as other potential poltergeist type phenomena, um, including sleep paralysis type stuff. Um, and so are stigmata wounds um, and bizarre artifacts. Like there's uh, um, examples, actually, it'll come up here in the quote. The stranger the claim, the more grains of salt one has to take with it, for the lore of exorcism is wrought with legend, but there are even accounts of people vomiting up small animals or crucifixion nails, none of which survive to the end of the exorcism, meaning that these things are either lies or group hallucinations of an extraordinary manner. Okay, let's take a little bit of a break from the reading here and contextualize some of this. Um, tip of the hat to Dr. Richard Gallagher. If it's at all possible at one point when I um, sort of branch out from the phase of talking to my homies that I consider like the most impressive in in the, the research community that I'm a part of, uh, there will be like phase two um, where I'm eventually like really just throwing my line out there to talk with some people that I've never even had contact with. Um, and Richard Gallagher, you know, I'll at least try to get a hold of him. That sure would be interesting because a uh, studious guy that seems like he hasn't fallen for hysteria. Could, if it hasn't been clear yet, we're not. If there's any sort of legitimate possession, it's not the sort of um, most of it can be chalked up to mental illness. There are, you know, it could be. Uh, varieties of epilepsy it could be multiple personality could be aspects of sleep paralysis but when all this is going on at once and more and you have severe trauma um that you know what we would call psychic phantom limbs that are holding more and more psychological mass for you um there is a breaking point you know it's just you, you just and what happens from a psychological point of view, people like Carl Jung and Manly P. Hall, who have tried to contextualize this more, it seems like you take the if if the human psyche is a mirror, um, possession from a psychological sense without getting sentient and spiritual is just like someone through trauma um, and you know the straw that breaks the back taking a hammer to the mirror of the psyche and it all just becomes fractured, disassociated, uh, devolved, animalistic. And when that happens, think about it like this. When someone gets into like the zone um, of like sports or art, fantastic things happen. I was watching uh, because I still have a soft spot for it, even though I just not really haven't been into sports for a while. Um, I have a soft spot for the good natured history of sports. And you look at the greatest running backs, like Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, and you look at someone like Michael Jordan, like the incredible zone that these guys got into, like Michael Jordan has the famous game where he played the, 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 with the flu and had one of his greatest games, Walter Payton, Chicago bears running back has that similar story. How do you find this zone where something there's, you're just able to see past everything and get into this pocket of fluid motion where nothing else matters. And you are one with the moment and your movements uh, and there's no reaction time. And that happens with art all the time. That's what artists are seeking really. So can't that happen in the opposite way? What happens if you get in to the fractured brain of the psyche zone and you get honed into things that are dark recesses, hay uh, hay wires, you know, split wires, the spasms of the psyche. When we look at abnormal psychology and the things that happen with brain damage, all sorts of strange things start to occur. So, I think it's certainly possible for something to happen where a, a you know, let's say a spasm of the psyche occurs. And these inanimate phantom limbs of our psyche, the autonomous trauma that we've been shoving down 
suddenly bursts forth and animates itself. I don't think we have to get sentient necessarily. Although, you know, like I've said before, this is where the trail of breadcrumbs starts. It could go much further than this. I don't know, and I'm open to it going further than this, but I know this is where it starts. You know, and I also know that there are other ways to explain these things too. So I'm not saying what we're talking about here is the absolute end all be all. I'm just saying from our corner of perspective, our black hoodie alchemy, metaphysical, philosophical corner perspective, this is where it starts. But you know, it's looking like we're getting closer to the commercial break here. So we'll go ahead and save it uh, and, and come back to more possession and union psychology at the end of this commercial break like last episode i highly recommend that you don't skip this commercial break this is not your ordinary commercial break um you might hear from tippy patson in the league of extraordinary gentlemen so stick with us we'll be right back as i speak i blow up your speakers strapped from the streets and i ain't talking about heaters hip-hop is my meditation fuck it my medication psycho psycho blow out a thousand candles through hypnosis doing this for years while demons chasing me father these are dark days but i own more light than altars let them hate on my crap my whole life has been a curse but i connect with the stars astronomically i'm down to earth i like to open doors but keep them increasingly close snakes lurk in the grass and nowadays they fly like a Ghost, ghost, always follow my own visions, fuck a daydreamer, I'll manage the keys. Death all over my gathering, store reminds of caskets to a horrifying accident, I'm forced to die a bastard, ask the Lord to write my rap songs, it's autobiographic, my life is fucked up so I don't glorify the madness, every day is a fill of mortal lives through Bible passages, bad in pain, I know one day it's all in my advantage, can my tired ass keep up, and walk a high path, keep supplying them deep cuts, and authorize a plan, man we Stand victorious, the strength is all about the randers Empty-handed warriors connected all around the planet Canada to Rotterdam, go to war on Jacquemin Till death calls on, we was born to rhyme in hand Yes, hi, hello My name is, uh, codename Jefferson Tillamuxlinger former Illuminati cloning lab manager and current member of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm here to tell you about our special GoFundMe link to help us get to uh, Ravioli, Finland in order to meet with our friend Judo Kevorkian and track down the Lovecraftian Titan known as Santa the Claus. We're still wrestling Illuminati Gators but we're, you, you know, trying to branch out, you know, so go to tippypatson.edu.com forward slash backslash dot gov and find our GoFundMe link. And you can also purchase some of the dolphin glue head gel that we've made with our friend Silverback Commando. Uh, remember, kids, do school and uh, stay in drugs. I mean, that's what the bathrooms are for anyway. Uh, get in there with your hall pass, do a line of blow, you know, maybe pound off and have a cigarette, and then get your ass back to classy rapscallion. All right. I, I think that's it for now. Goodbye. Bloody hell, mate, it's your new friend Silverback Commando from that old Black Hoodie Alchemy episode of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with a good old Tippy Batson, isn't it? And uh, I'm here to just uh, try and get rid of some more of this uh, dolphin glue and air gel that I've got a surplus of. See, I tried to get rid of it by dumping it out in the swamps in hopes to create maybe some sort of swamp thing humanoid and now... Um, when that didn't work, I created it, um, as a industrial glue and air gel. Isn't it? Watch here as me friend and colleague, Muscle Tornado, uh, uses the dolphin glue as a denture paste. As you can see, when I backhand him clean in the mouth, he may fall to the floor, but his denture remains in place. It's bloody amazing. Now feast your eyes as my friend and colleague Jefferson Tillamook Slinger uses the dolphin glue for his dupe. 
watches I bash him in the face with this baseball bat. Hey! Oh! He shouts, he may have some black eyes, but his dupe remains on his head. Now look as me friend and resident cosmic space pirate, Apex Monsoon, uses the dolphin glue to not only stylize his luxurious logs, but also uses it for his favorite arts and crafts products. Not only this, but you could take any old favorite toy you got and just and just baste it in this uh, dolphin glue and hair gel, throw it against the wall, and watch a creepy crawl down the wall suddenly your toy becomes brand new. After witnessing all these events in action, how could you not buy me dolphin glue and hair gel? Only $49.99.99, and if you act now, I'll send you a free strip of uh, dolphin grey LSD. My name is Silverback Commando, and uh, don't forget the dolphins are people too. Hello, my name is uh, Muscle Tornado, and when I'm not studying the holy book of Hulkamania, brother, um, and when I'm not smoking out of a bong uh, some sweet DMT, I'm often wondering to myself, um, what's the proper protocol for uh, alligator wrestling safety? As you may have recently heard, uh, I now have a hook hand. So I'm here to uh, tell you today, I have a new safety and combat DVD full of training and knowledge tips for your ascension to enlightenment through the fist and the mind, just the way Hulk would want it. I have this DVD full of um, gator wrestling safety tips and hook hand combat tactics. According to Wikipedia, the two extant species are the American alligator and the Chinese alligator. Alligators first appeared during the Oligonquian Epoch about 37 million years ago. Um, and all gators will bite your hand off if you try to grab their crotch. That's it for now, folks. Go to Tippy Patson's website at tippypatson dot um um government and forward in a three backslashes uh dot education. Argmiti, I'm a pirate, and my name is Apex Monsoon. Arg, hello there. I am a pirate. Arg, I am a ghost pirate. Arg, I am the cosmic ghost pirate, Apex Monsoon, member of Tippy Patson's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I have a new product for you to purchase with your spare doubloons. Are you looking for more luck on your UFO and Sasquatch hunts? Or more luck finding the booty? Well, I have traveled the seven cosmic seas and, you know, killed a lot of time. So together with my friend Bayou Jones as illustrator, I have created the Magic Dolphin Tarot Deck. It's full of dolphins and cool pirate things like the needles they used to use to inject mercury into their shafts to uh, combat STDs. And you can find it at Tippy Patson's website, this tarot deck. At tippypatson.edu.government forward slash backslash dot com. And you can travel the universe with your third eye and uh, find the booty, matey. Arg, I'm a ghost pirate. The cosmic ghost pirate, matey. Hey there, dang old man, Bayou Jones here. Uh, I ain't gonna tell you about that time I was uh, going down to them uh, swampy parts of the Everglades, you know, way over down yonder, and uh, I done uh, stumbled across some mushrooms, and I was real hungry, so I ate them. And then I also, I always bring my, my crack cocaine pipe with me, so 
I did that, and I, I did that, and then I dang old, you know, I always also go dang old wrestle them gators just for fun, and I figured out that they were dang old Illuminati gators out there, you know, shape-shifted and all that, and, uh, and, uh, you know, dang old, it was just one day I went out and wrestled them, and, you know, we, with the power of, uh, of crack cocaine and, uh, mushrooms, you can too, you know, so just go on, do that, um, Get yourself some of that and uh, go out and wrestle them gators. You can make some gator nuggets and uh, they're very, very tasty, buddy. Okay. Hello everybody, this is dang old uh, Tippy Patson here from um, the Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes. I, I just, uh, we're trying to get a whole bunch of different people um, down to the Everglades where we formed our little uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, so we can uh, figure out animal telepathy and we can wrestle Illuminati gators and make gator nuggets and uh, we can, um, you know, stop the harvest of adrenochrome and we can smoke a whole lot of catnip and do it basically save humankind so you know if you want to hear the black hoodie alchemy episodes uh where me and my crew the league of extraordinary gentlemen are uh um telling you know bringing our message just check out black hoodie alchemy episodes 14 30 32 33 34 35 and 38 now just remember Tippy Patton wants you to come down to the Florida Everglades and help him save the world from the Illuminati alligators. Uh, but there will be no animal winking off. Uh, don't we don't do that here anymore? Okay. Well, we're just gonna be wrestling them. No, no other, no bad touches. All right, come down to the Everglades. Take care. Bye. alchemy folks thanks for sticking with me through that insane commercial break we're still here broadcasting on the fringe fm initially and you were just listening to the song sanguine by my homie ivory sound and his homie avon k um that's a strange name it's a-b-a-n-g um next word k-a-y and my homie ivory sound uh, some nice, uh, like, wavy beats as a little bit of a palate cleanser because we're going to continue on the dark path of union analysis and demonic possession. And this uh, really strikes home to me in the archetypal sense, uh, not in, like, the truly demonic sense, but we ta- we've been talking about the autonomy of trauma and how this is sort of the cornerstone, uh, the the crossroads of the metaphysical and the psychological and throughout my life um i've had my own traumas to work through and the and i noticed that over time those traumas largely dictated or helped dictate my relationships not just the outcome and the interplay of the relationships but the instigation of them and um you know this is certainly the last thing this is is any sort of disrespect towards any of my exes because i don't really have bad blood between exes um there's one that doesn't like me but that's just how it goes sometimes um but no i really i care about all the people i've spent time with um and there's been most of them up until this relationship that I'm very thankful for now uh, that's very healthy and communicative and, um, shall I say, 
spiritually um not rewarding but i guess that's the right word but just seems like we help each other you know spiritually um the my other relationships have been rescuing people and not because i was perfect but i was equally damaged and just damaged in an honest sense of just people trying to work on things and there's nothing wrong with being damaged we're all damaged to some degree and some people are just at different phases of it and at this point in my life i was attracted to that sort of dark anima i really like that you know just like i don't give a fuck like smoke a cigarette party hard but think hard too, kind of woman. And that is also my girlfriend now. Um, I mean, she doesn't smoke cigarettes. That was just like an example, but uh, she's not as uh, brooding because a, a lot of that mentality comes with that dark side, which I had as well, still have to a degree, but um, in a much healthier contextualized sense, like hence this show, for example. <laughs> um, and it, uh, it always brought about this question of autonomous trauma. You know, can two people that genuinely care about each other um, work through things that are at, at least at the present moment out of their control? And sometimes when you get into relationships, you find that the dynamics of the relationship won't allow you to wrestle those things into your control because they're kind of things you have to do personally. Those were hard lessons to learn from me. Sometimes I found that I was the one holding someone back. Sometimes um, I found that, you know, others were keeping me in a rut. And sometimes it was both. And sometimes no matter how hard you try to work with someone or help someone, um, or allow them to help you. There's just some things you're going to have to work through. And, and, and the autonomy of those situations, the emotion of those situations is something that, um, especially if you listened before the break, I think when you think of the, the deep continuum of psychology trying to explain uh, metaphysics from a practical point of view, I think we can see how the autonomy of trauma gets us to a point of a totally fractured psyche where we are just, um, like I said before the break, um, spasms of the psyche, like the exact opposite of an artist or legendary athlete getting into the zone. You're getting into the bad zone where you've lost control. You don't have total fluid motion control. So let's read a little more here. And, you know, on that note, I just want to say, if you know anyone that's struggling right now, that seems like they just don't have control, don't go to, uh, you know, the last thing I'm recommending is an exorcism. Uh, but I'm saying that understanding the history of human belief might shed light. Because this is a strange conversation, right? We're talking about mental illness. Um, and what I'm trying to couch as like a, just a really honest way. And then we're also on, on the other side of that coin talking about really left field, like very rare, rare, rare cases of unexplainable phenomena. But it's because I'm trying to separate the two. And I do think that if there is any level of genuine demonic possession, uh, as I said before, it comes in a continuum where there's so much spasming of the psyche happening. I actually said this in the last episode. I do at least see the theoretical potential for when we have symbolically opened up gateways in the mind as placeholders for things that we don't understand. If there are other sentient or even autonomous mechanisms out there floating around us or whatever then those things I could see easily being the genie in the bottle of our beliefs and symbolic placeholders. And that's as far as I can really go. That makes any sense to me. And that seems responsible to say, you know, I have my own beliefs, but 
um you know go check out this uh the episode the image of the devil if you want more context on evil itself we're going to talk more about possession here so what's going on here more from hunt manual my book let's go back to mirror neurons the temporal lobe phantom limb therapies and the mirror box of the psyche these hypnotic prescriptions create certain states of consciousness animating existent dormant parts of our psyche where different levels of therapy can occur and we can in effect retrain certain neurological pathways in record time sometimes almost instantaneously so on this train of thought do i think someone like richard ramirez the night stalker could have been cured by an exorcism no firstly even a priest says that someone has to be willing to succeed in exorcism but more precisely, there has to be that willingness to believe. We have to, on a deep, intrinsic level of the psyche, admit that we do not have all the answers, that we are wrong in some way, and that we need help from a better source than ourselves. This is the cornerstone of spirituality as an adaptation mechanism to begin with, so of course it plays a crucial role in understanding exorcism. By nature, the priest or shaman is using ceremony and ritual to draw these disturbances out of a person hypnotically, to confront them and rewrite them neurologically. I'm not saying that this is all that is going on, but at the very least, this is a crucial element. The methods of exorcism are heuristic and imperfect, most certainly, uh, but this would not work without a possessed victim having some sort of willingness and some sort of socio-cultural history with these religious symbols, whether they be Catholic or otherwise. This is very similar to the idea of transference in Jungian analysis between patient and analyst. But again, there are always exceptions to a rule. The real trick is the hypnosis in a directed, guided way that can, in effect, uh, mitigate and purge these anomalous symptoms from the patient. Through the mid-1970s, culminating fatefully in 1976, Bavaria, Germany, a teenage girl began suffering from a great many curious things and that slowly but steadily escalated over a few years. Uh, most notably, she was having visions, sometimes of beautifully divine things like the Virgin Mary, but more often than not and growing, she was tormented by devils. And this is the story of Annalise Michel or Mikkel, um, the inspiration for the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Now, many people have uh, talked about this story in wide detail, as you will see why. Um, I'm just going to give uh, an overview here. Annalise was a good girl um, and a firm believer, a firm Catholic believer like the rest of her family and community. There was no denying the Christian doctrines and metaphysics that they had been taught, generally speaking, and so these visions were taken very seriously on a personal level. Other strange reports started uh, with sinister laughs and smiles and reports of her pupils dilating to the point where you could not see the whites of her eyes. And then she started turning aggressive at times, seeming at times to be possessed by complete alter egos that acted uh, quite demonic. She even, had un she even had unknown and bizarre odors coming from her, a piece that is very persistent throughout the story and certainly not from a level of filth when you read the accounts. It's not because she just wasn't bathing. She was eventually diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, but this is not where the story ends. Despite visits to specialists, uh, doctors, and a, a battery of neurological tests, and attempts at treatment, Annalise was still suffering, and theme, things seemed to get progressively worse. Here is a concise synopsis of the court documents given by Eric Hansen of the Washington Post in a piece from 2005 when the story saw a renewed interest. Quote, According to court findings, she experienced her first epileptic attack in 1969, and by 1973 she was suffering from depression and considering suicide. Um, under the influence of her demons uh michelle ripped the clothes off her body compulsively performed up to 400 squats a day crawled under a table and barked like a dog for two days ate spiders and coal bit the head off of a dead bird and licked her urine from the floor by 1975 michelle was asking for an exorcism uh the reverends ernst alt and arnold renz performed the rite 67 times over the first half of 1976. Some of the sessions took up to four hours. 42 sessions were recorded on tape. End quote uh, of the Washington Post bit. 
Annalise displayed all the classical, unexplainable symptoms of possession once the priest tried to draw the devil out of her, and the more they tried, the more elaborate and anomalous it became. And before all this, the Bavarian child was mild-mannered and as pleasant as they come. Accounts recorded in Annalise's exorcism tapes, um, which were shown to the court members and jurors, included particularly horrifying moments of a young girl's violently savage growls and barks of agony and rage, the ones that I feel like would end the career of a metal vocalist. And you can listen to those yourself. You actually can find them on YouTube. At one point during the exorcisms, Annalise says she is, quote, Lucifer, the devil in the flesh, unquote. And on one occasion uh, of Hitler showing up in the game of devilish musical chairs, he says through the girl, quote, uh, people are stupid as pigs. They'll think it's all over after death. It goes on, unquote. However, we have to ask uh, many important questions here, like, would this, would this have unfolded the way it did if she was not Catholic? Uh, I certainly doubt it. I don't exactly doubt that anomalous things were occurring, but I question whether they were given a very powerfully directed lens of interpretation. To me, this appears evident. It seems clear that the unexplainable phenomena could have manifested itself in a variety of ways, showing its flavor in literally any given culture's study of demonology, but the precise details are always specific to a person's belief system or the closest approximate belief system in their vicinity, you know, what they were grow uh, raised around. Something is certainly happening here, piggybacking off of the portals made by the nervous system through the neurons, and it is wearing masks from the stitchwork of our imaginations. What are we magnifying with our mirrors? Well, the Michelles tried the exorcisms um, on top of all the uh, neurological studies and tests. And these rites persisted, these exorcism rites, for over a year bi-weekly with lengthy exorcism protocol and many certain witnesses over time, such as a doctor in, in a well-known instance. Um, but Annalise's health only seemed to diminish until there was nothing left. And there's a quote by that doctor where he says uh, he saw something horrific. He saw her growling and twisting and writhing. And, and he said to the exorcist in a state of shock, my God, there is no injection for the devil or, or no injection against the devil, something like that. You can just imagine that. Let's see. Um, under the procedure of the priests, um, her health only seemed to diminish until there was nothing left. Her medical attendants had been increasingly neglected, uh, and she was refusing to eat, um, apparently because of the devil inside her not allowing her to. Poor Annalise even had sores on her legs from prostrating in prayer for so long of her own accord. In the end, the exorcism rites uh, seemed to only anger the alleged entities inside of her and ultimately led up to her death. While it would be quite slanderous to say that these priests killed her, it would be equally slanderous to say that these priests did not contribute to her death directly, so they were put on trial for manslaughter. Um, and while they were only served probation, they were convicted. Um, the entire story not only had countless witnesses, but along with all audio tapes and medical records uh, bundled up with a high-profile court case against well-respected priests, the possession of this young German girl completely changed the exorcism game. Um, it brought the forefront of this practice's enmeshment with mental health back to the surface in a relentless way. No longer were we in the days of witch burning. These were much more civil times that required not only more stricter protocol, but more stricter diagnoses as well. Uh, to this day, her grave is still a well-tread, unofficial sort of pilgrimage for the curious and the dogmatic alike. And... Um, to address the guilt of the Catholic priests here, um, this is a big thing. Annalise Michelle, there's plenty of people out there who just use this as a story to show how the abuse of the church and how they killed this girl. Um, and I don't think that's, I mean, that has its merit, that perspective. I think you should take that into account. I'm just saying additionally, um, there were some anomalous things happening here. Um, and I don't think these priests alone killed this poor girl. You know, um, there's, there were a lot of factors and I think that what they did, as I wrote, they contributed to it and they should have been, um, 
they should have been tried for it, but they're not murderers. Um, and as I said, I think, um, and this is how it played out in major culture. And this is how we have people like Dr. Richard Gallagher now, who the, uh, the Catholic church hires to vet out the difference between mental illness and unexplainable phenomena, uh, because of exact situations like this. So, you know, credit to the church for that, at least, um, they're not all just terrible kitty touchers, um, even in the Catholic church. So what we really see here is an adaptation in belief and process. And um, it was a necessary adaptation, you know, because things like this could happen and we needed to get to a point where they couldn't. If something like the belief and process of exorcism is going to continue, we need to get to a place where this wouldn't happen. Um, and it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, rest in peace, Annalise, truly. So the case of Annalise Michelle was so well documented and so drawn out um, in, especially in the public, in the court proceedings and everything, um, that it raises important evidentiary examples of the threshold of disease, illness, and demonology. Specifically concerning our discussion, her case of temporal lobe epilepsy is essentially, uh, especially important here. Um, as I've mentioned briefly throughout history, I didn't go into it in these episodes. I've touched on it a tiny bit, uh, but if you want more, you can check out my book, Hunt Manual. Uh, but throughout history, temporal lobe epilepsy has had a special reputation um, for giving highly, like almost DMT type uh, experiences, specifically due to the seizures. And those can be either highly transcendental or highly traumatizing, but they're always taxing. Because of the uh, the localized nature of the seizures, it's known to give intensely religious, spiritual, and mystical visions during the convulsions, something like a quick psychedelic experience with much more intensity. Depending on the person and the circumstance, these experiences can either be positive or negative, seemingly divine or demonic. Now, in terms of epilepsy at large, and not just temporal lobe, there have been studies to go back throughout history and find who appeared to be undiagnosed epileptics. And while some of this might be debatable in the fine details, as this covers a lot of historical ground, some of these names uh, given by the studies are Lewis Carroll, um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, Leo Tolstoy, Edgar Allan Poe, Socrates, Aristotle, Pythagoras, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Beethoven, Isaac Newton, and Dante Alighieri. Those are some of history's finest. For the most part, you know, generally speaking, with all their flaws. Um, when you look on the other hand, history's most infamous, um, my interest being true crime more than something like a dictator, although that could go in this as well, I'm sure. Never looked at it. Um, but with serial killers, we find also many people know there's a history of head trauma with serial killers and causing them to go haywire. But a lot of the result of that head trauma or mingling in the brain with that head trauma and or um, is a history of seizures and in many cases, actual epilepsy, because epilepsy is a prolonged syndrome of seizures. So just because you have a seizure or might have multiple doesn't mean you have epilepsy. Um, so people who were said to have severe seizures um, were Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, David Berkowitz, uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, Arthur Shawcross, Andre Chikatilo. Now, we know for a fact Richard Ramirez actually had temporal lobe epilepsy. We don't know the nature of Gacy or Berkowitz's Caesar, uh, seizures. Uh, we know that Arthur Shawcross had seizures um, and had a, a cyst on his temporal lobe. And we also know that Andre Chikatilo had some form of consistent seizures. So again, I'm no scientist. Um, I don't, I was never able to officially um, run studies on these guys. The jury's not out on uh, whether some of, you know, I'd like to know the kinds of epilepsy and if some of it was different kinds of seizures, but interesting notes there. Surely we cannot say that epilepsy is a divine disease or a demonic one for that matter. This is a well-trod path that people have said before 
in older times throughout history, and we are heuristically beyond this mindset now. Uh, we know diseases in and of themselves cannot be divine or devilish, but in the very rare circumstance, given the proper preconditions, can we not serve to animate our psychic phantom limbs in strange ways and perhaps create momentary gateways within the psyche? It seems very possible to me, uh, just as possible as the flap of a butterfly wing creating a typhoon halfway around the world. All right, so that's essentially it for now, folks. I think I wrapped it up pretty well. I tried to circle back around as we got went through it as best we can, so hopefully we don't have too much cleanup um, at the end here. If you're, I would like to say, you know, if if uh, someone you know is struggling, be there for them. Sometimes that's all we can do. Um, and if you have to come to a realization where you might be the thing that's holding someone back, um, then, you know, just know that you're not alone. I feel for you. And that's not a hard, that's not a hard decision to make, but sometimes it is the right decision. Um, because we can't save everybody. Uh, and so I'd like to read this last little bit. Uh, it's the last lines from Dante's Divine Comedy. Uh, it just as a, a palate cleanser, something uh, positive to end on. It says, Here vigor failed the towering fantasy, but yet the will rolled onward like a wheel in even motion by the love impelled that moves the sun in heaven and all of the stars. Love is cosmic, like real love. The love, not just romantic love, but real love, all of it. It's a force of nature. And humans have known this for thousands of years. So don't forget that. I watched the movie Solaris last night, the remake with George Clooney. And oh my God, if you want some sci-fi food for thought on these exact subjects, go check that movie out. I watched it once in high school so I hardly remembered it. After re-watching it last night, I feel like I need to go back and watch the 70s Russian movie, the original, and I need to go read the original book from the 60s because what a powerful story. And a story, I mean, first off, for a remake to be that good, you know, usually a remake just never lives up, hardly ever. This one was fantastic. So I got to see the original material. You know, no grandiose missions through the cosmos, but man, what a mind fuck. Um, talk about trying to save people, redemption, metaphysics, trauma. Um, love people while they're here. You know, go call your family members um, if uh, this episode troubled you. You know, in troubling times, I find, what is it? It's the cliche they say in psychology. We'll adjust to it and we'll make a tradition out of it. In troubling times, I find that those the best case scenario are just reminders to cherish what you have right now. So cherish it, folks. Don't forget, this is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. Much love to y'all out there. Um, we'll be back next week. We got some more guests coming down the pipe. So, um, you know, salute to all of you on the wayward path out there. Um, Keep on keeping on. And uh, this will be the uh, probably the last episode where I do specific, like large bits of reading from my books. Um, if you want, you can find some of those excerpts on my website uh, from Dive Manual and Hunt Manual. Um, in terms of reading some of my books uh, material in episodes, you could check out the episode Alchemy as Adaptation, um, Serial Killers, Cult Leaders, and Union Perspectives. You could check out the last episode about sleep paralysis and siren songs and then this one. And I'm happy to share it. You know, I think that this is material I'm passionate about. So some of it I'm obviously going to leave to the book, but this is the kind of stuff that I'm happy to just put out there. You know, I just want people to know about it and have and mull it over. I don't want to hoard it because um, I think it's interesting and I'd like to hear your thoughts. You know, I'd like to share it. So anyway, thanks so much, folks. We'll see you next week. Take care. This message brought 
broadcast live from the demise as Babylon falls Read through the lines, read a piece of my mind Saying my piece to beast is seven your lies Snakes in disguise, pulling out the wool in your eyes Chameleon, politicians block the sun from the sky With radio activity, you're wondering why The face in front of you is probably a spot Living get high, the blind mice lead the blind mice The pigs in the hunt, bigger than hip-hop This shit's gotta change for my son Since day one, we maintain this art from the start Raw beats and lyrics flowing out like blood from the heart Blood from a stone, stone off the blunts in the park Combustion, mass destruction when production is dark We the creatures, no one left out the art Dead from the start, but still kicking Blood pump, competitive spark Underground, still ahead of the charts Deadliest darts, decapitate a half-man with alien smart Too far to hold us back Soldier rap, feel the pressure as the forces clash Scorch to ash, solar flare, fire Melt the ice off the pole, the taps And corporate rats full of packs That you throw for cash It's a funny game, this money thing Nothing's changed Paper slaves make a wage But still nothing's gained Up in chains for days Erase your brain and use your recruiting troops To travel season, shoot your blind man See the future, the forecast is foul Devil in the mirror with a sarcastic smile Download the file, hard drive absorb the virus And shut down the mind of the machine system silence I build a village that village raises a child dying fitting To live in the box, I'm wildin' out with gloves on strangling Black balls and banging them, choke them out Whenever it rains, the thunder's in my chest Whenever y'all pray, I hear these voices in my head Like whatever y'all say, I'm bringing action to your breath You can go to the state, I got a fashion winning war Kill them with my style Break the barricade on doors, I'm unknown Like misery in history books You could read it, you could look But when you touch it, you shook Abandoned ship, Titanic You saved by the hook, the surf dick 2102, 2012 Creating heaven while they faking pacing in hell Gatekeepers block building since the children Lost the reason to smile I got a key to the skies Which we can open the fly We cut the moon just for a piece of the pie Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. As always, I'm Jesus Christ.